Hello and welcome to the More Mindful Podcast. My name is Jason Moore and I'm so grateful for you to be able to join us today. In today's episode, I speak with Jamie Allen on all things to do with men's mental health, toxic masculinity and his journey through overcoming testicular cancer. In this episode, Jamie really shares some inspirational messages with us all. So I do hope that you get something out of this. So without further ado, let's get more mindful about this important topic. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Now, Jamie, before we begin, I just want to ask you, first of all, what are what's three things that you're grateful for right now in this moment? Interesting question. I think it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like we haven't introduced the topic of this podcast yet, but with the last few years of my life being related to, you know, having had testicular cancer, uh, gratitude, I think, is a big part of kind of coming out on the other side of that. So it is something that I have to, like, think about pretty regularly. And I think when you've been through something of that nature as well, gratitude happens a lot more often. Like you feel it more organically, you know, even just like the little things like the first sip of coffee every morning, you know, like I couldn't enjoy coffee when I was on chemotherapy and like I love coffee. So like, or even like the first sip of beer on like a hot summer's night, like that has never left me. So like I find myself feeling gratitude and like moments of like simplicity. And then I guess, yeah, I'm really grateful for my income. So I've been clawing my way through university for a long time now. And I've been, you know, in my thirties and living with my parents and living on the bare minimum income. You know, now I'm in a full-time job and I've got full-time income to support myself and, you know, do the things I want to do and just get a a taste of uh, independence. So really grateful for that at the moment. And I guess, yeah, the last thing would be like my family and friends, like definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to be grateful for. for Yeah. Beautiful. No, that's fantastic. And I think that's super important as well as being able to bring gratitude back to the things that we experience every day. Because like you said, like even that first sip of warm coffee can sometimes be something to be really yeah. grateful for. Yeah. And this is so cliche, right? But I think people take stuff for granted so much. Mm. Um, so like all the good things in our lives, they just, we expect them to be there. So we don't notice them until we no longer have them. I think the pandemic taught people that a lot, to be honest, to an extent. I feel like people have like a negative bias. So like whenever bad things happen in our lives, we're so like aware of them because they kind of stand out. But then all the really good things in our lives that we could show gratitude for tend to go unnoticed, which I think is not good. Absolutely. So, Jamie, when did men's health first become a passion of yours? I don't know about like men's health in particular, but I've always felt strongly about like health and well-being. I think as a teenager, I was interested in getting into like social work and youth work. And, you know, I didn't really follow that path. I've always, I feel like this podcast is going to go down so many rabbit holes and I feel like we we could explore so many things, right? But I think being um, a young gay man, and my mental health was was bad, like pretty bad. So you have to like find ways to to cope. Mm. So yeah, I guess like mental health is something I've always been aware of, um, always taken an interest in. Now you know, having been through this whole cancer experience, it brings mental health to the surface in a whole kind of new way. I have to like just be really proactive with my mental health and proactive being open about that and sharing that and talking about it which is mm. largely why I, I thought the podcast would be a good idea so what were some of the most difficult hurdles for you to overcome when you first got that diagnosis yeah so i guess just for like a bit of background like for the the listeners mm. um so i was diagnosed with testicular cancer at the end of 2019 so basically it happened at a really awful time i think because my mum had bladder cancer and cancer was really like prominent in our family's life for i think the whole of 2019 and as mum was getting to the end of her treatments i think literally she was sort of getting to the end of her chemo and her last surgeries or whatever i get like this like my my left nut just balloons right like it just like blows up to like two times its normal size and it becomes really painful so i go to see a doctor and he he examines it, does the ultrasound, whatever, and they die. Well, they basically they find I've got epididymitis, which is like an infection in your cum tube, basically. I don't know how to put that like in a way that's like not no, crass, but like, and you take antibiotics, it goes away. But it's, it's like when they did the ultrasound, they were also like, oh, by the way, you have a tumor on your nut as well. So it was like very coincidental. Having said that, I did feel something down there about a month prior, maybe three weeks prior, that felt like it didn't belong there. It was like mm. super hard. I'd never felt anything like that down there before. And I remember when I touched it, like my heart fell into my stomach. Mm. Like it's like this visceral reaction. And I think part of me knew that wasn't right. But I also had a job interview the next day and I had no time for anxiety. So like I just tried not to think about it. And um, yeah, if I had not got the epididymitis, God knows how long I would have like left it. So um, I, because I got the epididymitis, it forced me to go and get my nut looked at. 
mm. yeah, it turns out that there was cancer there. So, you know, I was really like playing with fire, I think. Mm. Back to the hurdles. Obviously, mum had cancer. So having to, coming to the end of that, you know, we were looking forward to putting that part of our lives behind us. Mm. So then I kind of had to like, you know, step in and say, oh, you know, just, just so you know, like I've, I've just been diagnosed with this thing now. So that really sucked. I think a big part of the cancer experience is feeling like your illness is a burden on others. You are relying on other people to like support you like emotionally, but like to also drive you to and from appointments and, you know, take care of you. I mean, yeah. So there's like a huge sort of like hurdle there in the sense that like it's so unwelcome it's just so unwelcome and you have to sort of be the bearer of bad news to a lot of people who you love and at the same time you have to like process this whole thing of like what you've just been diagnosed with and what you're potentially about to go through thankfully the the healthcare system it was good so i i did it all through the public health system Mm. You would expect there to be a lot of hurdles there, I think. But really, there wasn't. So the biggest hurdle was the fact that I got diagnosed a few days before Christmas. So all the doctors were on holidays. So normally, they move things through a lot more quickly. But it was, yeah, I got the diagnosis, got a referral to a urologist, got put on an operating table like less than two weeks later, which is actually a long time. Like normally, mm. it happens within a few days. Yep. But because all the doctors were off on Christmas holidays, that wasn't going to happen. So yeah, that all happened pretty quickly. Yeah, you have the surgery and then you get, well, you're sort of waiting on biopsy results from that point to know when you're going to start chemotherapy and how long you're going to have chemotherapy for. So there's a lot of waiting, a lot of waiting, a lot of not knowing and a lot of assuming the worst case scenario as well, which is hard. Like it's really hard knowing that you've had cancer in your body or until they take it out. Right? It's like you've got cancer in your body and you don't know how far it's spread. Mm. Um And that's, yeah, that's really quite hard. I guess I want to say like the hurdles are all like largely emotional. A lot of it's sitting around and waiting, which like sucks. But then you sort of plump cancer on top of like all the other things that are happening in your life. So at the time I was, I just dropped out of my master's degree. I was unemployed. I was struggling to get on Centrelink because I was employed too recently. So I had like no money, no job prospects, just dropped out of my master's living at home with my parents, not feeling very good about myself. My mum had cancer at the time. And then I find out that I've got cancer and it's just like, fuck's sake, like how could this actually get any worse? Yeah, I think the hurdles are going to be different for everybody just depending on whether you're going through public or private, you know, what kind of like uh, emotional support you have from family and friends, mm. you know, what else is going on in your life at the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned like emotional hurdles. What helped you overcome some of those emotional hurdles? To be honest, I don't think you, I don't know if I did. I mean, uh, you can find just ways of like coping. So shutting down is a great coping mechanism, I think, that, you know, we do and that people use. So like uh, some of my friends went out and bought me a Nintendo Switch. They all kind of pitched in and bought me a Switch. Um, So I went into Switch land. Mm -hmm. I played a lot of Pokemon. I played a lot of Dragon Ball Fighters. played a lot of Smash. Um, Like a lot. I mean, like a lot. Like I played it all. (laughs) day um and then like it would be dinner time and i'd be unshowered and smelly and Mm. um i hadn't had lunch yet like a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms i think cried a lot did a lot of crying um i mostly played switch and cried i think um when i wasn't playing switch i was crying i Mm. think honestly you have to remove all of the judgment from the situation i think and just go if 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 all i'm gonna do is play switch and cry for a bit then let's just let that be but I think, yeah, if it gets to a point where it's like super ongoing, then obviously you need to reevaluate that position moving forward. So that kind of idea of being kind to yourself during those difficult times and kind of allowing yourself yeah. to process things how you need to. Like maybe that is what I was doing, but I wasn't thinking about it that mm. way. Like it was very much just like remove the judgment. It is what it is. Do what you have to do. And like I said, a lot of it is waiting, right? So like I know that I'm just playing Switch and crying while I'm waiting. And mm. then once I, once I know what's going on, once I know when the surgery is, how far the cancer is spread, all that kind of thing, then I can actually start thinking of like a plan, right? Mm. But I think during that waiting phase, you just got to remove all the judgment, surround yourself with like people who you love and things that you enjoy doing. Mm. Um, if you have to go into like a fantasy land for a little while, then I don't know, maybe maybe that's okay. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I think you don't always have to have all the answers. Mm. So. Yeah. Obviously, during this time, there would have been moments where you would have felt kind of hopeless at times, I guess. What helped you on those really difficult days? So the hopeless thing is, um, yeah, definitely. I want to say helpless okay. more than hopeless, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a bit of both, I think. So I got a lot of good news, right? Mm. Like in the 
grand scheme of things. So it was one of my testicles, not both. And that's more common, thankfully, but that in of itself is kind of like, okay, I get to keep one nut. Mm. That's nice. I got more good news, which is the cancer hadn't spread. So it was stage mm. 1A, which means it's the earliest possible stage. It has not spread. So all they do is whip out the nut and then the cancer is removed from your body and it cannot spread. So in that sense, testicular cancers, it's an easy cancer to treat, particularly in the early stages. Mm. And the fact that you can detect it early and completely remove the cancer actually gives you a really good prognosis. Like the vast majority of people make a full recovery. So you hear all these things, right? And this is all good news, good news, good news. It all gives you hope. Mm. So, well, in my case anyway, right? If the cancer has spread, then it's a bit of a different story, right? Mm. Your treatment's going to be like far more prolonged. Still high rates of like... They say it's one of the few cancers where they're actually happy to throw the word cure out there. Okay. So it's really high treatment rates, even in the later stages. Mm. But the more advanced your cancer is, then the more prolonged your treatment will be. I got a lot of good news, right? I get to keep one nut. Cancer hasn't spread. They expected the whole thing to sort of be over and done with like within a few months. I guess the only bad news that I got was that the genetic makeup of my tumor was really aggressive. So even though they had removed the cancer from my body and it had not yet spread, they weren't convinced that it wasn't going to show up somewhere else. So they did one month of chemotherapy anyway, just to kill off anything that is going to be like brewing under the surface kind of thing. And I think that was the worst news Apart from the diagnosis of itself, I think that was the worst news of all for me, was mm. knowing that I was going to go through one month of chemotherapy. And, you know, I, I just watched my mum go through chemotherapy. So, yes. like, it, there's a lot of, like, fear there, like, for sure. What was the chemotherapy experience like for you? Pretty awful. Pretty not great. But that's not the message I like to put out there. Because, mm. like, at the end of the day, it's like a... It's a life-saving drug. It's unfortunate that, you know, chemo can't target the cancer specifically. So when the chemo goes into your body, it's going to it's gonna kill off a lot of shit that you'd rather keep. Mm. You know, all my hair fell out, all my gut health went weird, gums and my, my lips and everything got like dry and started to crack. And, you know, like a lot of healthy cells and good bacteria and all that stuff that you want in your body also gets killed off, unfortunately. But it also pretty much put my chances of like relapsing into zero. So, mm. and for other people, it completely eliminates their cancer, like mm. completely. So, yeah. Mm. So you have to look at it as a necessary evil in order to, to claim your life back. Right. Yeah, that's fair. So, but yeah, the chemo experience for me was, I felt a lot of nausea, like a lot of nausea. I, it's one of those things where if, if you take all your pills, like mm. it's, it's amazing what they can do to keep you comfortable these days. If you take all your medication, you can typically keep on top of the nausea. Uh, if you can imagine the worst hangover you've ever had. Like the worst one you've ever, 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 ever had. And you just feel like that every day. That's kind of what I felt like on chemo. Yeah. Okay, and you well. can get through bad hangovers, you know what I mean? But that's kind of how I felt. Uh, the first week was definitely the hardest because it was like every single day for five days for about six to eight hours at a time. So it was a lot of um, drugs being pumped into my body and a lot of not feeling very good. Um, the second and the third week was like much easier. Because I had, so you only go in, I think it was like, the second week I only went in for two days. I think the third week I might have only gone in one day. I can't quite remember. And that was that was it. But for people who have more advanced testicular cancer, uh, you do that four times. So, yeah, I couldn't imagine doing that four times. It's, mm. it's, it's hugely challenging. But the message that I really want to put out there, and I think what I took from it, is that it's amazing what you can get through when you have no other choice. Like, people are remarkably resilient when they need to be. Mm. So, yeah. So would you say this experience kind of showed you how, just how resilient you are? I want to think that, but I think since finishing my chemotherapy and kind mm. of like, well, that's the thing, right? It kind of chews you up and spits you back out again. I think that's another challenge. Um, the minute your chemotherapy, like, stops, it's like this is expectation that you'll just, like, go back to work, get a job, because I didn't have a job. So for mm. me, it was like, go get a job kind of thing. And it's like, okay, so, you know, the treatments may have finished, but, like, I'm still trying to just digest everything that I just kind of went through. And the, the mental and the emotional, like, turmoil of it all is still very, like, real. I think I didn't feel resilient. Mm. Um, if anything, I felt beaten up and I felt defeated. Uh, I think it would be different again if maybe you already had like a job that you could just go back to, or if you if you were like in a more like steady, stable position in your life. But at the same time, I don't want to downplay that. Like I think people who do have steady jobs or who might maybe have like families or like whatever, 
um, I still kind of come out on the other end of this kind of experience a little rattled, like for sure. So yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, when we talk about resilience, you know, I think everybody thinks that means being emotionally and physically strong all the time. But um, I don't think it is necessarily that. I think you can have resilience and show resilience while also being a little bruised and battered. And I, I remember writing an Instagram post about that, actually. I was like, you know, in the post, as I got to the end of my chemotherapy, I did say, you know, it did show me how resilient I think people can be when they mm. need to be, you know. So imagine if we could show that resilience in every area of our lives. Mm. I think sometimes the only thing stopping us from being more resilient is like the force that's out of our control that kind of like makes us choose resilience. Look, I don't know. I guess I see myself as a resilient person. I, I definitely see every other cancer. I don't want to say survivor, right? Because I feel like my life was never in danger. Every other person who's had cancer, been through cancer, I see them all as incredibly resilient, right? So I kind of have to put myself in that category, I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say was the most important lesson that you think you kind of took away from that experience? Oh, I don't know. That's hard because I think you don't just take one thing away from that experience. It definitely taught me, I think, how like cancer is not, it's not this arbitrary concept that just happens to other people. You need to take it pretty seriously. Well, do you know what? No, don't fear cancer, but when you find a lump, don't wait three weeks to get it checked. Like that kind of thing for sure. Don't always assume that it's not. Don't assume anything, frankly. Um, keep it objective. Just go to your doctor and be like, I found a lump. You know mm. what I mean? That's all you know. But I think that's a big thing. Actually, it's one thing I did feel like I learned. When I first got my diagnosis, I spent a lot of time going online and Googling shit. And that's the worst thing you can do. So I feel like if you ever have questions, like don't type those questions into Google. Put them into a notebook and then take them to your GP or your urologist or your oncologist or whoever, because you want to get the answers to those questions in context, mm. how it applies to you. Like Google's always going to tell you that you're dying. So like, just don't do the Google thing for sure. So what guidance would you give Jamie to someone that may be going through something similar to this in their life currently? I mean, I feel like I've already said a lot of what I would probably like say in the very beginning, like when you first get that diagnosis, I think it's about you've got to be really compassionate and patient with yourself. Just allow yourself to feel whatever you're feeling. And you know what? Some people may just like breeze through it. You know what I mean? Like, and you can't compare yourself to like other people's experiences. You just have to be really real with yourself and just go, what am I feeling? How is this manifesting in my emotions? And just kind of like, let it be. So like, just let yourself think and feel whatever you're thinking and feeling in that moment. If you feel like your mental health is not in a good place or is going to not be in a good place, I think ask for help straight away. Because like, once you've had your chemotherapy, you can't get any more help. Um, so, but once you get, when you're going through that diagnosis and you're going through that treatment process, there's actually, uh, in in my experience, a lot more resources available to you if you want like a counselor or a psychologist, you can get access to one or like whatever. But like, yeah, I sort of got to the end of my chemotherapy and then went, oh man, I think I'm actually really fucked up now. So like, um, and I found it hard to get help. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Be compassionate. Don't Google stuff. Like I was just saying, you know, keep a notebook, write questions down, take them to health professionals. I think that's really important. Surround yourself with people who you love and things that you enjoy doing. Find someone who you can talk to. So I think that's another thing that's really important. It's such a thing, right? Like, so you get diagnosed with cancer and that sucks for you, but all the people who know you and love you the most are also affected by that. And it, I think it's hard for them to confront and I think it's hard for them to talk about. Um, so there's this weird dynamic where they don't want to talk to you about your cancer and you don't want to talk to them about your cancer, but then it's like, well, who the fuck do I talk to? So, and like, I guess that's where like, you know, psychologists and counselors or whatever can come mm. into it and that's fine. But like, you need like a mate who you can just call on at like 11 o'clock at night. If you can proactively like find that, find someone who's going to be like, I'm here for you. Mm. I can talk to you about this. You can talk to me. You can come to me kind of thing. Then that would be good to maybe try not to check out as hard as what I did. Actually, no, that's good advice. That's praising my own advice. But like, don't check out as hard as what I did. So if you find yourself really going into that avoidance space, like routine's so important. Like even when you don't have cancer, like routine's so important for your physical and your mental health. So like if you can try to maintain some kind of like a, a sleeping schedule where you get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time, like shower every day, uh, eat healthy food, you know, especially if you're going into like a chemotherapy like regimen, you really want your like mind and your body 
to be as ready for that and to be as healthy as possible, I think. Going to the bed at the same time, getting up at the same time. Although admittedly, it's really hard because you're awake all night worrying about cancer, which is like, oh, shit. And that's the thing, right? Like, it's so easy to sit here and be like, here's my advice. But like, when you're actually in that situation, it's incredibly, it can be incredibly difficult. But have it in the back of your mind. Maybe even sit down and write out, okay, so what would my ideal day look like? So whenever you're having like a, a shit time, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and you're like having a panic attack and you've just finished playing Pokemon 20 minutes ago. You can just open your journal and go, okay, this is what my ideal day looks like. Maybe tomorrow is not going to look quite like this, but what can I achieve? Really small achievable goals, I think are really important too. If your goal is something as small as I'm going to have a shower tomorrow or I'm going to regulate my video game intake tomorrow, like I'm going to play Pokemon for two hours, not 10. And you can, so you can actually just, I don't know, achieve something. I think mm. it's important not to check out too hard you've got to face reality what would you say is important for family and friends of someone going through something similar to keep in mind to help support someone going through some something like this yeah because you touched on it a little bit before yeah i think that's really important to talk about especially for mm. those listening mm. that maybe do have someone in their family or a friend that's yeah going through something like this and don't know how to yeah to do. i think the thing i said before about removing judgment from yourself um, also applies to family and friends. So if you've got a friend or a loved one or like whatever who's going through cancer or who has maybe had cancer and you feel like you haven't been there for them, like don't be too harsh on yourself. Like I think removing judgment from every situation I think starts with removing judgment in my opinion. So like have compassion for yourself and understand that like you can't fix all the world's problems and no one's expecting you to. Also acknowledging that it is really distressing and upsetting for family and friends when someone they know is diagnosed with something like pretty life-changing or potentially, um, you know, potentially catastrophic. Yeah, remove judgment. But I think it's also really important to remember that like people going through cancer and stuff like that, they are incredibly scared. They are grieving. Like I know for, for a large, like I, I grieved, right? Like I grieved my testicle. And I think I still largely do. I grieve the, the feeling of like, like normality that came like before all this happened. You know, you grieve a lot, right? So yeah, cancer people, are, like they're grieving. Um, they're scared. They're angry. They feel lonely. And sometimes they, they do need to talk. So if you feel like you can and are in a place, it's okay if you're not too, by the way. But like, if you feel like you can, don't be afraid to actually approach someone with cancer and say, how's your cancer going? Mm. Like it consumes your life. Like, mm. so for me, I was really lucky. Like it only consumed my life for like a month. Well, the treatments and the surgeries and everything. In reality, it's consumed my life for the last two years. So yeah, don't like, it's not, cancer's not a dirty word. So don't be afraid to just say to them, how is the cancer experience? How is chemotherapy? How are you doing? Yeah. So like, I, I, I really want to sort of like drive home that message that cancer is not like a dirty word. So for people who are going through cancer, it consumes your life for quite a while. So it's not inappropriate. I don't think it's inappropriate to approach someone and, and just say, how is the cancer journey? You may not word it like that, but you might just say, you know, how's your chemotherapy going? How are you feeling? How often are you having chemotherapy? When does your chemotherapy start? When mm. does your chemotherapy finish? Are you scared? What can I do to support you? Uh, these are all really important questions. And even like once the chemotherapy's ended and, you know, it's sort of ongoing, you know, don't be afraid to, to say to people, so um, how are you feeling nowadays? Or like, when's your next oncology appointment? I mean, you may not know what that is. Do you know what I mean? So you've got to use words that you know, but like, you know, when's your next hospital appointment? Do you have any follow-up appointments? Do you have any like scans or blood work? Because I guarantee you there are scans and blood work that they're going to be having for the next five years. So ask them, when's your next scan? That kind of thing. Because when something this profound happens in your life, if everybody around you tries to act like it never happened, that can fuel the sense of like isolation and the sense that like your illness is a burden on others mm. so yeah as someone who's if you want to try and support someone who's got cancer or who has had cancer don't treat cancer like a dirty word mm. don't be afraid to talk about it maybe just try to like obviously pick and choose you know like if you're sitting on the couch just having like an intimate chat with a friend who's had cancer or who's got cancer like don't be afraid to talk about it maybe don't bring it up over like family dinner mm. or like don't um you know like pick and choose your times obviously so after going through this experience and this journey like you described how important is happiness and mental health for you currently good question i mean <laughs> like obviously it's important i all i want for people and i guess that includes me 
I'm always thinking about others more than I think about myself. But all I want for people in life is to be happy and healthy, right? You're born, you didn't ask for this shit, you're here, you, you deserve to be happy and you deserve to be healthy. So I feel passionately about, you know, like people who have really bad work-life balances, you know, or people who are in jobs that are just like running to the, running them into the ground and making them feel sick and unhappy or like people who are like invested in relationships that aren't, you know, conducive to good well-being or like whatever. I, I don't want to see people, and I guess like, that includes myself, wasting their time on shit that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, that isn't important, that isn't... Like, yeah, I feel really strongly now about people being able to take control of their lives, right? Like, I feel like life is this whirlwind that just kind of sweeps us all up. And if you can get out of that whirlwind somehow and do things that truly have value to you, then I think that's probably, like, good. I definitely have a, a greater appreciation now for, like, the little things in life that maybe I, I used to take for granted. You know, I, I, I really, truly feel that. But I gotta be honest, man, like, it's, I'm sort of in a weird place now where it's like, <sighs> I think having been through the cancer experience, I have a lot less patience now for shit that I don't think matters. But unfortunately, part of life is just doing shit that you don't think matters or doing shit you don't want to do so i'm like I'm, I'm in a restless place like for sure i'm i'm not i'm not in like a well some days i'm kind of i would say i'm in a bad place but i'm not consistently in a bad place but i am consistently in a rec a, a restless place yeah i don't really know what happiness or well-being or whatever kind of looks like moving forward i know it doesn't involve having cancer in my body so but having said that you know like i mean i'm, I'm a relatively healthy guy right like i i'm a healthy weight for my age and height and whatever i walk regularly i practice mindfulness when i walk so i'll leave my phone at home you know it forces me to be in the moment and observe what's around me and all that kind of stuff so like i do exercise regularly i eat fairly healthily like i do eat junk food not every day kind of thing i guess the message i'm trying to drive home is like i like, i value my body um or at least i try to and even more so now i, I think about well cancer is real so i don't want to consistently do things that are going to put me at greater risk of getting more cancers. So you mentioned mindfulness. Mm. What kind of other things do you implement in your day-to-day -day life at the moment to try and do what you can to keep you on that track of health and wellness? So like it really probably only the one thing and that's I, I leave my phone at home and I go for walks and I, I walk for anywhere between like an hour, maybe two hours some days, depending on, I don't know how much time I have in the evening. And uh, I find that's honestly, it's such valuable time. Um, it really clears my head. Like it's it's moving my body. It's getting out in nature. It's just allowing my, my brain some time to breathe and just kind of like stop with all the stimuli and i find that i get really creative when i'm walking and i i do i feel like it gives me some time to actually like process some stuff and reflect and you know all that all those words that hmm. we use but it, it's true right it works it's good for you i think a big part of it is just getting off your phone get hmm. the fuck off your phone is honestly like what i would tell myself just in general it's such a habit and it's not doing anything to make you better hmm. it's if anything it's just ruining your life so just get the fuck off your phone mm. for two hours please go for a walk i think especially with like what's 90 percent of the content that usually comes up on facebook or the news is yeah. usually negative like you said and mm. at the very beginning you said we're so negatively biased that we don't need any help thinking negatively mm. <laughs> so yeah. yeah definitely i think we we're all healthier and happier before we knew what everybody was thinking as well on that how would you say people can minimize how much negativity they're exposed to on a daily basis i think it's about setting boundaries right so it's like setting boundaries for everything in life it's good to be informed it's good to know what's going on in the world, but it's also good to look at everything through a critical lens. Everything you, like, I think people know this now, right? But everything you see on social media, particularly, it's all curated for you, right? So algorithms are showing you what they know you want to see. A, a big part of it is just getting off your phone, like, um, set boundaries, right? So, like, I want to read the news. I have my news sources. Sometimes it's good to look at the news from, you know... I hate to use these binary terms, but you've got the right-wing perspective and the left-wing perspective. Mm. Sometimes it's good to view the news from both to see, you know, what's happening on the other side of the coin. But, like, have boundaries, right? So, like, I do this for, like, maybe 20 minutes or half an hour a day, and then I have to stop. And then I have to go out there and I have to, like, forge healthy relationships and have good conversations with people. And, like, I have to, you know, just go for walks in nature without my phone and let my brain just have some space to breathe. And to sort of bring this back to the original topic of the the podcast as well, you know, I think when you've been through something traumatic, right? And like cancer does go up there, I think, in the, the 
the realm of trauma, your brain needs more space more than ever. It, it really just needs to be able to just switch off and not in like the avoidant way, like not the video game way or whatever, but it just needs no stimuli, no input, no critical thinking, no nothing, just walking in nature, being mindful. What can I see? What can I hear? What can I smell? How do I feel in this moment? Oh, like there's no cancer in my body. I don't feel like vomiting. My teeth aren't all fucked up. Like I feel good and I'm grateful for this moment. And I think if you can find other human beings to share those moments with and, and make connections with other human beings, if you can form deep and meaningful connections with other human beings and share those moments with them, then that's even better again, I think. Because we sort of forget, like, we're such so social creatures, right? We do... I think I'm bored, right? I think I'm bored a lot of the time, but I think I'm actually lonely. Okay. So, like, remember that it's important to connect with other people. And it's hard, like, pandemic, all that stuff has made that hard. Although gathering outdoors is considered safest or safer, typically. So mm. maybe that's not a bad thing. But I think it's interesting how, like, we're considered to be such a connected generation. I think in many ways we are, you know, you and I are connecting with people who we don't even know potentially through mm. this podcast. Absolutely. But we're so disconnected more than ever, I think. And you know what? Like, like if, if you've got, like, a friend who gets diagnosed with a terminal illness you're not going to think about all the times that you sat in separate rooms and like played games on the pc together like phasmophobia or something you know what i mean like it's fun to do or whatever but you're going to wish you spent more time in the room with that person so like yeah make an effort maybe to do that i think yeah now obviously jamie men generally are a little bit more reserved with their emotions and coming forward and seeking help mm -hmm. what would you say would be some of the big things for the men listening for not just to do with cancer, but just with if they're struggling in general, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, I think it's a big one. See, like I'm an open book, probably too much so sometimes for other people's tastes. So I uh, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask, but I think that serves me well sometimes. But you, you can't just to someone who's like reserved and feels shameful about opening up about their issues. Where does that come from? Right. So you can't just say to somebody, be more like me. You know, it's not going to fix their problem. You have to kind of address the root of the shame. Where does that come from? Why do you feel like you can't speak openly and more freely about how you're feeling, what you're going through? Why can't you speak honestly and frankly about how you like feel? I guess some people don't even know how to interpret their emotions. There's a lot there, I think. I think it all starts with finding someone who you trust, which can be incredibly hard, which I think is where just reaching out to a counselor can be really good because like they're literally like you literally give them money to sit there and listen to you hmm. uh, talk about your problems. So it's so That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy in that respect. Not not easy but like it's it's such a, it's so transactional mm. you know what i mean i give you money i complain mm. and um, i think on that as well don't get disheartened if you do find someone that you don't resonate with straight away mm. there are a lot of counselors out there and we are all different people yeah yeah so yeah, 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 yeah. just because you don't get along well with a counselor yeah. doesn't mean counseling's not for you it just means maybe there's somebody better out there that yeah. you could meet yeah. And that's so important, I find, in a therapeutic yeah. relationship. Yeah, I agree with that. I think as someone who's been through a fair bit of therapy, like I, I, um, I've definitely had people who I've vibed with and I've really liked. And then I've got others who I've kind of just shown up because I made the appointment and I want to honor it kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a good place to start, right? So the first thing to do is just recognize that something doesn't feel good. You don't have to be able to explain what that is. You don't have to be able to interpret it or put your finger on it. If you just don't feel good, if you're having negative emotions then you can like reach out to a counselor and just try to work out what that is. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why is this happening? What kind of plans can I put in place to try and make this feel better? Utilize counseling services. And like I think you said as well, if you don't vibe with the first one too well, try a second one, try a third one. Again, it just comes back to removing judgment, right? You don't have to feel any certain type of way. You're not any less of a man because you asked for help or because you spoke openly about your feelings. If anything, you know, I, I want to say that like doing things that make you uncomfortable is so important. Like, and that's, I think that's something that I think I've taken away from this experience, right? Like, you don't grow as a person from just sitting in a comfortable bubble. So like if seeking help makes you feel uncomfortable, fucking do it. Like it's going to make you feel, people think going to see a counselor is like weak or whatever. It's actually empowering. You're doing something to help yourself. You are taking action and you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. And that's the kind of shit that actually makes you grow as a person. So I would actually challenge you if counseling makes you uncomfortable, that's a sign that maybe you should try it. I don't know. Maybe that's like a weird way of trying to like challenge like macho men into going and get counseling. Like I don't 
don't know. Mm. I think you're right. Like when it comes to emotions, there's no such thing as gender. Mm. There's no male or female emotion. Like sadness, anger, being able to cry, none of those are masculine or feminine. Mm. I think that's the thing that people need to overcome is that I would love to see more men Mm. walk through my counseling doors Mm. because the men that have walked through, they are the ones that I... Honestly, they're the ones that I generally see the most growth with and that keep coming back because I think it's it's something that does need yeah. to change in today's society. Crying's biology too. Like it's nothing, it's not even, it's literally like, I mean, I'm not an expert, right? But it's a thing that we've done. Like we've obviously developed this over hundreds of millions of years, like an evolutionary like thing to deal with an, a buildup of like shit emotions. Like I think I've read, and I, I don't know, you have to fact check this. Don't take everything you hear on the internet for granted. But the, the kind of tears we shed when we're crying actually have different like properties to the tears that we shed when we laugh or you know like whatever like there's there's a a reason why we cry Mm. and like you said it's not male or female it's not masculine or feminine it's just shit that your body does when it needs to get shit out and like i genuinely like i know when i was going through the cancer thing and i would have like a this huge build-up of like like all kinds of emotions right so it's like it's fear it's anxiety it's anger grief all that stuff all at once and it builds and builds and builds and then you have a good fucking cry and then you just get filled with all these endorphins and like all of a sudden like you just feel better weirdly better you feel like okay now i can think rationally again now i can actually sit down and think about okay this has just happened what do i want to do from here kind of thing think yeah it's like an it's like an outpouring of all the like the stuff that you're feeling so that you can actually focus again and think rationally like maybe you should cry once in a while like it's probably not that bad so but like i really want to acknowledge too that we live in a society and i think for a lot of men in particular i think maybe like men older than us as well like you're conditioned from such a young age to think that this is bad you know and to feel shame around having emotions to feel shame around crying to feel shame around not always having like a stoic front um i think yeah like challenge yourself is it's such a thing just challenge yourself a little bit whatever makes you uncomfortable in life be it seeing a counselor showing some emotions having a cry i don't know going for a hike or mm. applying for that job that you want or you know sometimes you'll have to challenge yourself by going through things things like chemotherapy when you really don't want to but you have to but like by challenging yourself you're actually going to learn and grow as a person you're going to you know gain new perspectives you're going to meet new people you're going to feel so much more confidence i think within yourself because i feel like people really truly like change and grow when they challenge themselves so jamie what do you feel needs to change around men's health in society at the moment and that can be to do with physical or mental as well i think the first thing that needs to change maybe this is in like younger men in particular i could be wrong but uh stop thinking you're invincible because you are not things can and will go wrong and i think we see a lot of risk-taking behavior in like young men whether it be regards to like how they drive or how they have sex or uh, i don't know binge drinking you know things like that stop assuming that nothing will ever go wrong because things can go wrong and they inevitably will go wrong if you're like reckless enough long enough so yeah stop thinking that you're invincible and try to have some empathy i think you know, try and put yourselves in the shoes of like somebody who has a different experience to you yeah i think be mindful of your risk taking is something that i want be able to acknowledge when you're taking risks at the very least so i think that's like i think that's like largely for younger men but i think the i think the conversation around men's health is happening more and more like i, I really do think it is i think we're seeing it i mean i personally I'm, i feel like i'm seeing it a lot i see it online i see it on the television i think it's happening in like again i hate to use these terms but i think it's happening in like right-wing spaces and left wing spaces Mm. i think the conversation looks different in both of those spaces but it's happening right stop seeing men's issues as stepping on the toes of women's issues and stop seeing women's issues as if they're stepping on the toes of men's issues like i feel like there are absolutely things in society that affect men more than women and there are absolutely things in society that affect women more than men um I'm sort of of the opinion that things in society typically do affect women more, but that doesn't mean that men's issues don't exist and we can't talk about them. We absolutely need to talk about them. I think men's health issues affect women too and women's health issues affect men too. So I think there's like needs to be like a collective viewpoint upon which we just want everybody to be as happy and healthy as possible. So there's, I think there's too much of a divide these days. We've got men's issues, we've got women's issues and it's like, yes, we do, um, but we can all be a part of the solution to both. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 I think that's really important. Yeah. I think when you start to divide it, you're right. That kind of does give a bit of separation. Whereas that we don't need separation in society today. There's enough of that. Mm-hmm. We need to be unified. 
Yeah. And I, don't get me wrong. I think there are definitely issues where like, as a man, right, there are certain things that are never going to affect me. So I don't have an opinion on them. Mm. I let women kind of lead that charge, be in that space, have those conversations and inform me as a man as to what you know, they, they want what they need. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I feel uncomfortable about, well, I, I wonder if men these days feel like they're not allowed to have a voice, Okay. Um, you know, or if the, the men aren't allowed to talk about themselves as a victim, because as a society, I think as a whole, like men probably do have a lot of privilege. We've got to stop the cycle of like shame. I think the word that I keep coming back to is like shame. Um, mm. I think men feel, they think it's pride. They think, oh, I'm too proud. It's like, no, you're, I think you're actually, I think you have shame. Yeah, you're okay. you feel ashamed of of having emotions and talking about them to me that's not what pride is but i think a lot of people interpret it that way would you say it's almost like the shame of expressing what's deemed in society as weakness yeah 100 percent. also like the shame of like not being stoic the shame of like having emotions like the shame of um not being this like perfect dependable human being all the time mm. and it's, it's weird too what we as a, as a society what we view as like masculine feminine what we view as like being a man's thing or a woman's thing you know like it's weird because like i feel shame about having one testicle frankly honestly um that's there and i'm like why why is that there so that, that's a thing that you can unpack if you wanted mm. to it would take forever it'd be like a huge rabbit hole to go down mm. but i mm. think that's indicative of the kind of pressures that men face in life to like be perfect you got to have two big fat healthy nuts to be a man you know and they're like body image issues for men as well i think they're such a huge thing i think eating disorders in men manifest so differently right mm. like men need to like be like like muscly or like whatever but it's still a disordered behavior or mm. a disordered way of thinking in relation to your body and there, there are plenty of guys that, i think people forget to like gay men are men too so like, the way these things manifest are like differently for like gay men but they're still men's issues mm. So it's such a nuanced conversation. Yeah, I just feel like, I think it, to simplify everything, right? I think it just comes down to, if you have emotions that don't feel good, like don't ignore them. Find someone who you can unpack those things with and get to know yourself a little bit better. That's the good thing about like seeing a psychologist or a counselor is they, they've got like an objective sort of outside perspective. And I think they can they help you. judge either. Well, exactly. You don't have to worry about putting that guard down. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And they, they're trained to listen to what you say and then guide you towards the answers that maybe they can see that you can't mm. quite see yet. We've got to change the conversation around like counseling and what it actually is. Mm. It's not like I go to a counselor, I tell them my problems and the counselor fixes it. It's I go to a counselor, I just say whatever I'm thinking and feeling and then they listen yeah. and my guide job, me. Yeah, my job as a counselor isn't to give you the answers. My yeah. job as a counselor is to sit there and be a vet for you to discover those answers yourself mm. and if you need a little bit of guidance through that rabbit hole that's what we're there for so yeah you're 100 right yeah and kind of coming back to like the body image issue like i think you're right when it comes to men's health body image is such a big thing as well mm. and i know like just personally that's something that i struggled with all through my life getting told i was always tall and skinny i still yeah. am always getting told oh you're anorexic oh don't you eat and mm. people don't seem to realize just what an effect that does have on people too like it is hard yeah as a man if you struggle to gain muscle yeah. mass sometimes and that's like you said it's shifting that viewpoint of what is masculinity mm. am i less of a man because i'm not as ripped as mm. the guy over there lifting 10 times what i'm lifting at the gym no mm. like it shouldn't yeah. be about that yeah uh, yeah i think body image is actually a huge part of this conversation i don't know what it's like for other guys but i know i definitely have really struggled to accept what i've lost and how i now look in the mirror and as a same-sex attractive guy as well how am i going to be perceived by other guys you know potential partners or like whatever i think that's very real i mean when i was younger as well you know i i actually did have an eating disorder oh, okay. um i i struggled with anorexia but it was incredibly difficult to get a diagnosis because i was male mm. and you know mm. that was like god that was probably like a good 12 13 years ago now so things might have changed but i think that's a really good example of like a situation where because something is deemed a women's issue not a man's issue mm. it actually affects men badly we just we need to try and take gender out of the conversation i think a lot when it comes to well-being having said that there are obviously issues that are definitely going to pertain more towards women some towards men i think this whole idea of like what is a man what makes a man manly what does a man have to do how does a man have to act 
Like, it's so unhealthy. Every man is different, and manhood means different things to different men. If you lose one or both nuts, that doesn't stop you from being a man, so it's clearly not about what bits you have. Uh, but, I mean, it's just the fact that all these stereotypes exist just will affect us in such bad ways. Yeah. So, I don't actually know what the answer to that question is. I actually do not know what the answer is. I think it just starts with honesty. Starting with honesty in everything, right? Like, so what do you think? How do you feel? What feedback am I getting from others? What do I think is valuable in that? What do I think is trash? I mean, at the end of the day, not everyone's always going to get along. But mm. the kind of connecting with who you are internally and what your values are and what's important to you. Yeah. And that goes beyond, like we've said, gender. There's nothing to do with gender. That, so rather than what makes you manly or what makes you feminine, what makes you a decent human? Mm, 100%. What, what values align with you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I feel that so strongly. I think your character matters so much more than your appearance or like your gender or your sex, like all your sex or your sexual orientation or your gender identity, you know, like all those things. I love listening to people talk about who they are. Mm. Like, this is who I am. This is why I'm this way. And I list, I try to listen without judgment, except people for who they are. And like, I love that. I really mm. love that. I think for men, removing judgment and removing gender from the equation and removing sex, like doesn't matter what a man means to you or what bits you have, right? Remove all that. What am I feeling? Um, What do I want to say? What feedback can I get from somebody who could offer me some objective insight into this? You know what I mean? Like mm. it's, it's connection really isn't it right if you can't yeah. figure out what the fuck's going on inside of you then maybe you need to talk with another human about that mm. so yeah it starts with honesty removing judgment and just talking to someone i think mm. so jamie with all that in mind what do you feel people need to become more mindful about around wellness it took a big fat slap in the face right for me to start thinking about wellness and mindfulness don't wait for that moment like i don't know People have to learn through their own experiences, but I think this is general like idea these days. We all kind of know, right? Like all our mental health as a society in general is pretty fucked. We're all pretty anxious. I don't know. Is this just a gay thing? I don't know. There could be a gay thing, but we're all pretty anxious. We're all pretty depressed. We're all desperate for validation. We've all got people in our lives who have hurt us. We don't pay enough attention to the people in our lives who love us. Don't wait for something like cancer to come and slap you in the face to make you like put your phone down and actually sit with yourself and just go, what do I want for my life? What do I value? What does my ideal day look like? From start to finish, you know, what habits can I like maybe get rid of and then what habits can I replace them with that might help me achieve my ideal day kind of thing. It sounds like a lot. It probably sounds like a lot. Um, to me, it's not. This has been my life for the last two years, just trying to get mm. my brain back into a place where like I'm not panicking. I understand that wellness is really important. Like, like I was saying earlier, like you didn't ask for this shit, but you're here and it's a gift and you deserve to make the best of it. So like, how can you do that? Have enough self-respect to actually sit down and, and just go, what do I want? What do I deserve? And how can I sort of like make that happen a little bit more? There are always going to be things in your life that are beyond your control, things that you can't fix or situations that you're going to be in that you'd rather not be in, jobs mm. that you're going to have that you'd rather not have, or just the fact that you have to go to work times, you know, and do a job that yeah, I mean, yeah, but there's always room for you outside of all that. Mm. I think if you've got things in your life that are just take, if this consuming every aspect of your every day and you don't feel good about life, then it's time for you to put you first. Yeah, sound advice. What advice would you give to a man in particular going through something really, really difficult at the moment? What would be like the first step? So obviously we could talk for ages if it was about everything they needed to do, but what would you say would be their first step? Get a pen and paper and write something down. Like anything, the first thing that comes to your mind. If like if you don't feel like you're in a situation where you can talk to another human being or where you can be vulnerable or you can express emotion or anything like that. And like, I think I've spoken probably a little too harshly, right? Like those are actually incredibly difficult things to do, particularly if you've never done them, particularly if you weren't raised to think those things are normal. So like I say this like, like it's really easy, right? This could actually be a grand moment in your life and that's totally okay. Yeah, just get a pen. Maybe get a pencil so you can erase it. You know what I mean? If that yeah. makes you feel safer, like whatever. Something to write with, piece of paper, write down, I don't know, maybe like three things. This is what I want for my life right now. This is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I think I need. Try to get to really know what's happening inside of you. And then if you ever do decide to take that step and go and see somebody, then you, you've got like a springboard that you can start talking about things. I just think it comes down to like, I, I keep repeating myself, right? But it's that honesty thing. Mm. Be re really honest with yourself, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's confronting. 
it's got to be different for everybody too. I mean, like I said, it's it's maybe I'm not the right person to ask because I've always been an open book. I've always been someone who wanted to explore their emotions and talk to other people about their emotions and, and you know, all that kind of thing. I was raised by people who raised me to believe that it's perfectly okay to show emotion and things like that. You know, I have mm. so much privilege in my life. There's the P word, but like it's there. Mm. It's definitely there. You're right. I think those of us that have been raised to be honest about our emotions mm. and that it is okay to cry as men, obviously we're talking about from that perspective, we are very yeah privileged and lucky that we had that upbringing. I know my parents were the same. Mm. Like They encourage you to express your emotions. Mm. And I completely understand yeah. that there's men listening to this right now that yeah. had the opposite upbringing where maybe they were told, man up, don't cry, mm. wipe those tears, what are you sad about? Yeah. And look, I'm not going to name names. I know people like that and yeah. I'm sure you do too. Uh, but I'm gay, it's... man. We're all pretty like. But that's such a thing, isn't it? That's such a stereotype now. It's like, oh, the gay man's really like, he's like, he's talking about his emotions. What a faggot. And it's like, oh, shut up. Like, mm. shut up. Like, gay men are just men too. Maybe because we're not worried about being perceived as gay, we're more like willing to just do the things that are perceived to be gay. And that's it. Like, is, it that. is it gay to be a man that's okay with expressing your emotions? It's definitely more attractive. Not just for like, other gay men, mm. but like, if you want women to find you interesting, maybe talk about things with them that are actually are like Deeper really deep and mysterious and human like mm. women love that go for it mate i do want to show my gratitude for you coming on the show so thank you so much i really appreciate your openness your authenticity and how honest and open you've been with listeners about your experience and yep. what you've gone through and to yep. those listening like we understand that some of these things might hit a nerve and look that's perfectly okay because these are really important and difficult situations to talk about and difficult topics so jamie thanks so much for coming on the show my last couple questions for you is if you could give everyone listening three lessons of life what you hold important what would they be get off your phone Get off your phone and get off your phone, frankly. I feel like it's, it's made such a big difference in my life. But um, no, that's that's definitely like a big one. Try to remove judgment. I think we as people, like our brains are always just like firing off messages. Everywhere we go, everything. Maybe maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm an asshole. There's a lot of judgment that's happening all the time, trying to make sense of everything that's happening around me. It's where mindfulness and meditation is really important, is learning how to let a thought come and go without riding that wave. You don't have to explore every little thought that your brain fucking throws at you. So. So, um, yeah, get off your phone, try to remove judgment from your life and like do practice gratitude, show gratitude, practice it. There are most definitely things in your life that you could be grateful for right now that you're not noticing. And the only reason you don't know that is because you take it for granted and no one's taken it away from you yet. Mm. So try to practice gratitude in, in some way. I think, again, it's cliche and it's talked about a lot these days, but I think that's for a reason. It works and it matters. Yeah, absolutely. So getting off your phone. So becoming mindful, the kind of being kind to yourself. Removing judgment. Removing judgment. From whether it be like yourself or from other people, try to remove judgment. Yeah. And the gratitude. Those are three fantastic rules, I think. And Jamie, where can people find out more about you and your story? Uh, nowhere really. Here, come watch this over and over and over as much as you need. Maybe if you want to get in touch with me, get in touch with Jason. So if anyone does have any additional questions or wants to hear more about specific parts of your story, they can yeah. comment, send, us an, send me an email. Yeah, and yeah, no, 100%. We'll definitely um, be more than happy to get you back on the show, Jamie. Cool, cool. Yeah. That would be fun. I've, I've had a lot of fun. No worries. Thank so. you so much, Jamie. The human spirit is stronger than anything that can happen to it. CC Scott. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I really hope that you got something out of today's episode. Jamie Allen, thanks so much for sharing your inspirational story with us all and so grateful for your wisdom. Remember, no matter who you are or what you might be going through, there is support out there and you don't need to go through this journey alone. Need support or don't know where to seek that support from? Feel free to reach out anytime. You can also access a range of free mental health resources on my website, www.livemoremindful.com. Again, thank you so much for being here. Please remember to like and subscribe so I can continue to bring you inspirational and powerful stories like today's. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, bright blessings to you all.